The weather is cooling off, but the savings are hot at Legacy. Right now, the Daikin Comfort Pros at Legacy Heating and Air are saving you thousands on select Daikin heating systems. Upgrade to a Daikin high-efficiency heating system from Legacy today and spend winter warm and worry-free. Get thousands in rebates and enjoy flexible financing options to suit your budget. Daikin systems deliver unbeatable comfort, cleaner, safer indoor air, and energy savings. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com to view exclusive offers and get qualified now. Hello, greetings, and welcome to the not Kansas City Chiefs game. This is Football <laughs> Never Sleeps, and I'm telling you, if Taylor Swift walks in that door behind me, I will not be surprised. Well, maybe a little bit. But anyways, we are a Notre Dame football show that comes at you weekly. We give you all the scoop on what's going on with the Notre Dame football team. Tyler James rolls his eyes a lot. And we do take your questions, so start submitting them to the question portal, and we'll work them in during the course of our show tonight. We're going to be on the air for about an hour. So, again, hopefully the Chiefs make it very uninteresting in their game, and we will make it interesting for you. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Tyler because I don't know how to tell you how to sign up for anything. <laughs> well, that is what I'm here for, Eric, and uh, to keep you in line. Um, the uh, to, If you are new to the YouTube experience and live shows, uh, you should have a chat box to the right-hand side if you're on a desktop of some sort. Uh, make sure you've clicked through to YouTube or the YouTube app rather than watching us embedded somewhere so you can comment or submit questions because we will answer them throughout the show. Um, if you're on a mobile device of some sort, that, that chat box comment section should be below our talking heads. And one thing we'd like you to sign up for, if you haven't already, is our free trial of Inside Indie, Sport, Inside Indie Sports on InsideIndieSports.com. Um, you can get a 30-day free trial if you use the promo code NDYT. That is a code that is exclusive to our YouTube audience. Um, and if you do that when you sign up, you will get access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to us. To us uh, over on the Insider Lounge, I know Eric loves spending time with our subscribers over there, um, and so there's they're nice to me. <laughs> there's a link to sign up in the video description below, uh, and it should put in the code for you. But make sure you put in that code if it doesn't. Ndyt, um, and you'll get access to everything you want to know about Notre Dame football and everything that we are reporting, um, and that's where we report it first. We had a lot going on today. We had Marcus Freeman at noon, then we had the coordinators and the and four players at six o'clock tonight. So we got a lot of information to hit you with. We are going to start with taking stock of Notre Dame heading into its regular season finale. The Irish are eight and three, coming off a 45-7 romp over Wake Forest on Saturday on senior day and the 500th game in Notre Dame Stadium history. The Irish are 17th in the latest AP and coaches polls. They're unranked slash 18th in the Super 16 poll. And again, the ReliQuest Bowl on January 1st, on January 1st in Tampa versus an SEC team is still the best case scenario for what will happen after the regular season and still very viable. We're going to start with the injury report, which is kind of shorter this week. And Tyler, what's going on with Zeke Corral, who missed the Wake Forest game with uh, being in concussion protocol? 
Yeah, when we spoke to Marcus Freeman earlier today, he said that Zeke Carell was still in concussion protocol um, as of early this afternoon, but that he did expect him to be out of it by the end of the weekend for him to be available to play. If not, um, of course, Ashton Craig would be ready to go after making his first career start this past weekend. Um, the other injuries are to Deion Colsey, who is not available to return yet. He was had a knee injury. Um, required surgery in late September, and it's been slow getting him back. Um, the other guys are guys that have been playing lately. Well, maybe not as much lately for Matt Salerno, played for the first time since the Tennessee State game this past week. That answers a question that Frank Sarah had submitted before the show. He played 14 offensive snaps. Um, and then uh, Jaden Thomas as well played 10 offensive snaps. They've sort of been careful with him as they've needed to because his – Hamstring issue has not necessarily gone away completely. Um, and so he's taken on a smaller role in the offense. Um, and that's where their name is at. Andrew Christophic, we didn't ask about. He's coming back from a high ankle sprain. He had his uh, right ankle pretty heavily taped up. Um, and I think that played a role in Ashton Craig getting the nod over him at center. Um, I don't know if he would be in better shape to play this coming week. I think if it was an emergency, he might have played um, in the Wake Forest game, but they didn't need him. Um, but if you have Zeke Carell and Ashton Craig both available, you probably don't have to rely on Andrew Christophic in many scenarios. Yeah, there's an art to asking Marcus Freeman injury questions, and he was asked kind of about Andrew Christophic in a Thursday Zoom last week. He, it was just kind of like, hey, do you have any injuries still or whatever? And he came back with uh, everybody – is expected to go except for Zeke Corral was in. But that would have included Andrew Kostovic. We assumed it did. But you're never quite sure unless you ask specifically. Hmm. And, and again, he didn't like say anything about Matt Salerno coming back either. So it's um, – so. but let's go back to the offensive line. It was the first career start for Billy Shrout and Ashton Craig. So I've got two questions for you there. First of all, from what you have seen so far, I don't know how much of a review you've been able to get in yet, if anything. What did you think of their play? Yeah, I haven't been able to spend as much time on it as I will before the weekend uh, or before, before I sit down for a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, but I think they played fairly well. Um, I thought Ashton Craig looks really good. He does not look to me like an inexperienced player playing center. He seems very comfortable, um, seems to be pretty assignment sound, um, and he has some good size back there. There weren't really many snap issues. Um, so those are all boxes checked, in my opinion, in Ashton Craig's first start. Billy Shrouth, I think, is a little bit more up and down. I think you kind of see a little bit why he didn't get the starting job coming out of the gate to start the season. I think there's some inconsistencies there, which obviously we've seen with Pat Coogan and Rocco Spindler as well as the, the two starting guards for the, for the majority of the season. I think that importantly, they both did well on pass protection, um, which has been an issue sometimes up the middle for Notre Dame and, and keeping the pocket clean for Sam Hartman. But both those guys did a good job there. Um, that wasn't necessarily the strength of Wake Forest's defense um, on the interior, but as a defense in general, they are good at, penetrating and, and creating pressures and getting sacks and, and even tackles for loss as well. So I think for the most part, Notre Dame's offensive line did a good job with that. 
Um, and uh, Craig and Shrouth were a part of that. My follow-up question then is, if you're Marcus Freeman and Zeke Carell has been out since November 4th with that concussion, he got it in the Clemson game, are you more apt to start Ashton Craig and give Zeke Carell some time to just be himself and, and get some practices in rather than rushing him back this week? Um, no, unless there's some physical reason why you shouldn't play Zeke Carell. I, I don't think, I mean, he's has plenty of experience. It's not like he doesn't know what he's doing out there. Um, so I, I think that as long as he's able to go and get some practice in this week, um, then I think you, you put him back out there, um, and let him, let him finish out potentially his career at Notre Dame, um, th this season, I think. You, you can have a short lease if he goes out there and struggles then then maybe you pull him for Ashton Craig but I think Zeke Carell has earned the opportunity to sort of finish out the season um even though Ashton Craig has looks good in replacing him the other question I had related to the wide receivers now Deion Coles he's not coming back this week I think we can assume Jaden Thomas is still going to be somewhat limited and to a certain extent Matt Salerno coming back mm-hmm but let's say all these guys are healthy for the bowl game. And then you have these three freshmen that have been played, playing very well. You have Chris Tyree, you have Tobias Merriweather. Who, do, If you're going to give the most snaps to three receivers, who do you think gives Notre Dame the best chance to win in a bowl game? Uh, Chris Tyree, three receivers. Chris Tyree. Yep. Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores probably. Okay. Um, Jaden Thomas. I mean, if Jaden Thomas is good, I, I, Jaden Thomas is in that group. I just don't right. know know where he's at. I I don't know. Have I mean, if if you're guaranteeing me he's out there with no issues, then then he's in that group. I would knock Jaden Greathouse out of that group. Um, and and so I think that that would be where I would go. But I. I I think the best mix is using him all. I, I think what has hurt a little bit, those freshmen, is that they've been asked to do too much. Um, and I think keeping a balance of getting those guys um, plenty of playing time, but also rotating them and getting some opportunities to learn from the sideline um, and not have to have the same sort of physical wear and tear. I mean, it's it can be exhausting to play an entire game as a wide receiver. Um, and, and some of those guys have been asked to play a lot in some scenarios. So um, I think keeping the rotation – high in terms of the amount of guys getting opportunities, I think is the best course of action for Notre Dame. What do you think? Yeah, I would say I, I would want Rico Flores out there. I think a guy that, I, I mean, I just have loved everything about him except for not knowing the nuances of the game. And I think he's getting to that point. And again, 26 catches through 11 games, there are only four receivers in the last 50 years that were freshmen that had more than that. And one of them won a Heisman Trophy. That's Tim Brown. And one of them was Michael Floyd. So, I mean, I, I think he's earned being on the field, and I have confidence in him. As far as the other two, I, I would read it the same way. I would say Great House and Tyree give you the best chance to win. I just think Deion Colsey's missed too much time to be a starter. Jaden Thomas, if if he's the Jaden Thomas we saw in August and early September, then I'd say I would put him in there and either 
have a great house or Tyree coming in in a relief role or a rotational role. But, uh, yeah, I think those freshmen have finally earned it. You know, are they going to be as consistent against Stanford? I would think so. I mean, they're still freshman-itis kind of running through their veins, and yet Stanford is one of the worst defenses and one of the worst pass defenses in the country, and we're talking bottom five. However, it's a, I mean, they're a weird Stanford team. They've had their moments. They came back and beat Colorado in double overtime. They uh, beat Washington State on the road in a 10-7 game, and they gave Washington, who I have been voting as the number one team in the country, they gave them a handful. It was 42-33 game. So they they are capable of scaring teams at least and beating average teams. So uh, Notre Dame is going to have to have its best efforts. Before we get into Before a little we- bit more on uh, Stanford, I think you want to go to a question. Yeah, yeah, because it was a lot about wide receivers and we were talking about receivers. Mike DeVoy asked, is Deion Colsey in line for a redshirt season at this point? As long as the NCAA has the waiver and and coaches are assuming this is going to be the case, they just haven't formalized it yet, that they did last year where the bowl game does not count against the four games, four game limit, then he would be in line for a redshirt year. He has played in four games. He is not going to play in the Stanford game. And I, I'm going to assume that the NCAA isn't as – silly as they sometimes can be in that they will approve that. Yeah, assuming that the NCAA won't be silly is maybe silly in itself, Eric, but I think I think you're probably right uh, that, that that rule will come through. That's the way Notre Dame has been operating, at least. Um, and so um, it's also important, like Colsey does have a redshirt season available. He didn't, right. he, he played in more than four games in both of his freshman and sophomore seasons, um, right. so he will be in line with that, having only played in four games so far, and, and uh, as Marcus Freeman said, won't play in the Sanford game. So then he's he has made redshirt status um, as long as uh, that rule goes through. I mean, even if it doesn't go through, if he doesn't play in the bowl game, then he would still be a redshirt as well. Right. The, the thing is, I think guys his age and younger are going to be more careful about the, you know, taking those redshirt years in, in that they will evaluate it more strongly because that's the first class that doesn't have the COVID exemption. So they will have five years. It'll go back to five years to play for a guy that I talked to tonight, Eli Reardon. I asked him, I said, did you ever consider just playing in the four games this year since you came back so late? He did consider it. He thought about it, talked to his family about it, but he said, you know what? I think I want to get my degree in four years and then go on to whatever's next. I'm going to be a four-year player. And so he wanted to play through, and now he's really happy he did it because he feels like he's he's finding a stride with his game. Yeah, and I think in his situation, it's got to be tough because you would say that year, but it's also like, I just want to play football, and I yeah. haven't been able to do that um, because of these knee injuries. And so – um, it was going to take some time, regardless of when he played, um, to get back to sort of like 100% confidence and, and comfortability with with his knee ish, history. Um, and so the fact that he's getting that, getting the chance to do it, do that now, and and taking advantage of that is is probably important for his career long term. Right. 
any more questions or do we want to go to oh uh, yeah we can stanford. get some other questions here before we talk a little bit more about stanford unless we already hit enough stanford for everyone's taste <laughs> um next one is from bob alvey would like to get your thoughts on the offensive line and joe rudolph last season through the first 11 games Notre Dame rushed for 200 yards in the first six in six games uh this year Notre Dame has rushed for 200 yards in two games tennessee state and central michigan Again, it's hard to separate a uh, position coach sometimes, both bad and good, from the coordinator. And so you re really try to get other people's opinions about it. Marcus Freeman was asked about Joe Rudolph today, and he was pretty effusive in his praise about what a good teacher he thought he was. I mean... <laughs> They're a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award, whether you agree with that or not. The people that I will say the people that evaluate that are some of the most respected offensive line connoisseurs in the country. I mean, it's not like a bunch of media people that maybe don't know the nuances of offensive line play. I mean, it's like Aaron Taylor and uh, Cole. What's Cole Kublik? Kublik, yep. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's it's people that are big time offensive line smart people so um i think i'm certainly willing to give joe rudolph the benefit of the doubt i've had questions about it and yet when i watched him coach in august there wasn't anything where i thought oh what's he doing i felt like okay i see what his technique is here and i liked what i saw so um, I think you can look at the numbers, but I also think, you know, Notre Dame's throwing the ball more and they also have an offensive coordinator who has had some growing pains. Whereas if Tommy Reese were back, you wouldn't have those kind of growing pains. You may not have perfection or anything, but, uh, you would have, I think Joe Rudolph probably would have looked a little bit better. Yeah. And I, and I think, you have to judge an offensive line coach for more than just the rushing offense, right? I mean, they're in charge of pass protection as well. Notre Dame's top 25 in the country in sacks allowed. Right. Um, number 21 overall with 1.27 sacks allowed. Um, and that's with an increased uh, passing attempts uh, this season uh, with the way that Notre Dame's trying to run its offense. I, I mean, I think some – like. The Pittsburgh game could could Notre Dame have gone over 200 rushing yards probably, but they wanted to when they got some guys in there like Steve Angeli, they want to keep they want to, they've been giving those guys chances to throw the ball, so I think that matters some too. Um, I know there have been instances where they've been keeping Audrey Gestamay in the game to sort of get over 100 yards, but I think in general the offense has been a little bit more aggressive than it has um, like last year when they. <laughs> Tommy Reese leaves the press box and just says run duo till you can't breathe or whatever. I don't remember exact the exact quote, but uh they were they were closing out games by running the football a lot last year, and I think that had something to do with it. Um and I, I just think the offensive line was more physically dominant last year. I think they imposed their will upon teams better um than this line did. Um this is that coaching, is that personnel? I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, and I think Notre Dame's been – even though Notre Dame's passing game wasn't exactly elite last year, Tommy Reese seemed to come up with better answers to find 
room to run um, against different looks or create different looks from the defense that allowed you to have winning looks. Um, whereas I feel like Notre Dame too many times has allowed defenses to stack the box and not really had an answer for it. And uh, that really hurt them through the middle, middle of the season. And uh, I think maybe Notre Dame's getting better with that as we move on for the, the close of the season and with some play action that we saw against Wake Forest. But um, I think those all go in. I, I would, I think there's been some good and some bad at, for, for Joe Rudolph as the offensive line coach in his first year here. And uh, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, begrudge anyone for saying, well, what exactly do we have here? I, although I think he has a long resume, um, but I do also don't, I, I think the praise um, not that Marcus Freeman shouldn't have praised him in the way he did, but I, I don't know that I would be as flowery in my praise for Joe Rudolph for what he's done this season. <laughs> what do you think, Eric? Oh, I think you're capable of being flowery. <laughs> um, I think the hardest thing for Joe Rudolph is being compared to Harry Heastan. Yeah. There's nobody, I think, probably coaching college football right now that you could say, well, he's Harry Heastan's peer. Maybe, you know, one or two guys, and I couldn't think off the top of my head who they were. But when Harry left, Joe Rudolph was in that group of, Offensive line coaches, people felt like were in the next tier down from Harry. And so, again, he did get in very late. He had an offensive coordinator that had a very late start in putting in the offense. You know, he was, you know, got a late start on the recruiting cycle. So I think I'm kind of looking at this year as, Okay, let's see what next year looks like. Kind of like with Al Golden. He got in very late. There were some good and bad with him in the first year, and then the second year he really hit a stride. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't happen with Joe Rudolph, I'll be more surprised than not, and then I think we can make a more thorough evaluation. All right. Um, Michael McFadden asks, tough being a coach and pleasing everyone, but winning by five scores before putting in quarterback Steve Angeli for one series leaving running back Audrick Estimate till the fourth quarter. How can you build experience for the backup, the backups? And then Michael McFadden followed that up with him. I'm being too critical of Coach Freeman. Be honest, guys, no problem at all. Thanks. Okay, then we'll criticize you back. No, um, <laughs> I mean, again, you're still trying to be a team that peaks and ends up winning 10 games. Notre Dame got a lot of, players a lot more players in on defense than they did on offense mm -hmm. in terms of maybe deeper backups um the thing is to what end are you serving yourself especially with sam hartman playing against his former team right you know what end are you serving by putting steve angelian there i did an item on steve angelian today's notebook and there really isn't anybody in the last I, – I went back to the beginning of the Brian Kelly era and, and looked at the quarterbacks that have the second most pass attempts in each season. There's very few apples-to-apples apples comparisons. And even in the ones that don't match up, nobody – I mean, Steve Angeli's way over 200 in his pass efficiency rating. But there is one comp. Do you do you know who it is, Tyler? I do not. You posted your notebook right before we got on, so I didn't see your story. It's it's Phil Jakovic in 2019. Oh, he okay. had 
almost identical stats played in seven games that year. I mean, eerily similar, way over 200 in pass efficiency. Those two are the only two. There's nobody close to them. Uh, but then Jakovic transferred right after the end of that 2019 season, and things haven't gone as well. But I guess the point being taken is we can't tell a lot from those numbers other than this is a good better thing than not a good thing. There have been guys with awful numbers that turned out to be pretty good starters. Uh, but would one quarter make the difference in terms of Angeli being game ready to be the number two quarterback or even the number one quarterback next year against Wake Forest? I, I don't think so. And and with Audric Estime, that was a thing where, and you might have missed it, Michael, um, both Audric and Marcus Freeman brought this up in the press conferences that they really wanted to, him to get 100 yards and they were willing to risk him being in the game late to get to that 100-yard mark. And so was that the best use of personnel? Probably not. Uh, but again, I'm not sure how much you would have gained by another quarter of Jeremiah Love and J Darian Price that you haven't gotten from them already, that you haven't seen from them already. I'm all for playing the backups and getting them game experience. Yeah, that was going to be my response about the running backs. Is like they've rotated running backs a lot this season, so it's not like they don't know what they have in. Jabron Payne or Jadarian Price and uh, Jeremiah Love. So I, I think that I wasn't as bothered by that. I, I know maybe if you wanted to see the walk-on running backs play that are maybe seniors, uh, maybe you weren't a fan of Audrey Estime staying in as long as he did. Uh, but I don't have an issue with that. The Angeli thing, I, I so yeah, I mean, would you play him one more series and would that really make that big of a difference? I The, the, the truth of the matter, like, Unless Sam Hartman got hurt this season, we weren't going to see Steve Angeli in moments that mattered enough that made you feel 100% confident in what he is or isn't as a quarterback. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the case across the country. You don't get that many opportunities with healthy quarterbacks um, to know exactly what your backup is. Um, and so Notre Dame has to take into account the opportunities he's been given at the end of games this season, what they've seen from him in practice. Um, his understanding of the offense and, and where his growth has been and where his growth can continue to be in, in evaluating him um, going into next season. I, I think one point I'd like to make, too, is you have to understand Marcus Freeman's frame of reference with this. He he comes in as the head coach, and he's like, do we need to go to the portal? And Tommy <laughs> Reese talked him out of it and said, no, we have championship-level quarterbacks on our roster with Buckner and Pine, and that didn't turn out to be the case. And I think <laughs> that's what causes some hesitancy on his going all in on a guy that's unproven. All right. Uh, let's just keep rolling through some questions here. Jeffrey Stevens, who I, I believe was at uh, – well, not I believe, I know. He sent me a photo. Uh, was at this Cree Thomas Notre Dame commitment ceremony uh, really? at Phoenix Brophy Prep this evening. Uh, I Jeffrey, didn't get a picture. Well, that's, you're not as special as me. Oh, okay. um, if Notre Dame has the sixth overall defense, how does Al Golden get left out of the Broyles Award 
finalist. Is this snub bigger than that of Mayor for the Mackey Award? Well, I mean, I I glanced over the list. I saw Mike Denbrock was on there, and they LSU does have the number one offense. I didn't see everybody that was on the list. I think some of it has to do with team success. If Notre Dame was a top 10 team, I think Al Golden, even if Notre Dame was 12th in the nation in uh, total defense, he would have a better chance than being sixth and Notre Dame having three losses. But I was surprised. I thought yeah. he he merited being on that 15, 15, cut down to 15 today. Yeah, and I'll tell you the other defensive coordinators that made it, Florida State defensive coordinator Adam Fuller, Iowa defensive coordinator Phil Parker. James Parker's Madison, good. James Madison defensive coordinator Bryant Haynes, Louisville defensive coordinator Ron English, uh, Ohio State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, Penn State defensive coordinator Manny Diaz, Texas defensive coordinator Pete Kwiatkowski, and UCLA defensive coordinator DeAnton Lynn. Um, so a lot, of, quite a bit of uh, defensive coordinators there. I think that seems like more than half. I didn't count while I was reading them off, but um, I was surprised. I, I had met, made, I made the joke that I think we can blame Notre Dame's offense for Al Golden not making that list, and then people were like, "Well, Phil Parker made the list," and I was like, "Well, yeah, he made the list because Iowa's offense is so bad, so he gets even more credit." Yeah. Whereas uh, Notre Dame's defense or offense isn't that bad, but I think it costs Notre Dame some games and then hurts the. The win loss record, and so then you're less likely to give, um, give him the that added benefit there. So, um, I was a little surprised. I think Notre Dame's defense has been very good. Um, the, the the three losses, I don't think were on the defense. Although the Louisville game was certainly probably Notre Dame's pro- worst defensive performance of those three games. Um, even though the Clemson game was a little bit disappointing in the rushing yards that they were able to give up. Um, but, uh, I think, uh, I was a bit surprised and, uh, I will say that I don't vote for that. That's not, you can't blame me. I'm not a Broyles award winner. Uh, so I take, I take no blame. So, so just for your information, Jeff, Penn state is two in total defense. So they had their coordinator. Yeah, I would. Ohio state is three. Uh, Iowa is seven, but then you get down to UCLA is 12. Uh, Louisville is 21. Uh, Texas is way down at 37. James Madison isn't counted in the stats. They have a pretty good number. Uh, They would be about, if they were able to be counted, they'd be about 30. They are reclassifying, so they don't count in the stats. They're going from FCS to FBS. But yeah, that when you look at it that way, Michigan is number one. Jesse Minter isn't on the list, <laughs> uh, but there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, and I, um, what I did like, I just think the offenses are bad in the Big Ten. So it's like I think it waters down how good Penn State and Iowa's defense are. It's like, well, yeah, you're playing against those offenses all all season. I think your your stats are going to be good. So I. I, I not to say they haven't done a good job, but I think their their numbers are probably a little bit inflated by the, the lack of offensive firepower in that conference. All right, uh, we'll go through a couple more questions. Ed Coquillard uh, asked, if Coach is going to challenge everything looking at game management, how does he get better other than doing it and hopefully making less mistakes each game? I've never seen a game management 101. 
I'll let you start with that. I need to absorb this question a little bit more. Yeah. How do you get better? I think you have to evaluate what you did or didn't do in situations and what you, what you learn from it. Um, I think it's an experience thing. I think you, there's some situations that arise that you've never been in sort of like what happened at the end of the Ohio state game. They didn't have an answer or solution for, Hey, we only have 10 guys out there. How do we get out of this situation or prevent this situation from being worse than it already is? Um, and that cost Notre Dame in that scenario. So I think you just have to have sort of a maniacal sense of all the different possibilities that are happening um, or could happen, um, and then sort of a, an ability to recognize them in the game. I think it helps to have someone on staff that maybe is solely responsible for like, hey, making sure Marcus is aware of this is what's going for on. Doing <laughs> for, for doing math. For doing math. Not, 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 I'm not talking – Getting away from just the counting, like, hey, should we take a timeout here? Hey, we if we take a timeout here, this will give us a better chance. If we don't take a timeout here, um, this is what we're losing. Um, and so I think there's got to be those conversations, and I think he needs to be open to those conversations and open to learning to those situations and, and being frank about them. I think it's he didn't say the one – what was the – was that the pick game, the end of the first half where they, they like sort of let their clock run down? Um, and then didn't weren't able to take advantage of the pit penalty. I think that was the pit game at the end of the first half. Right. Um, and if they would have taken a timeout, then that situation would have allowed for Notre Dame to have a first down um, and take advantage of it. Where that when they didn't, um, because the, there was no time, not enough time left on the clock to run any plays. Um, so I think it's just tackling those situations um, and the lessons that you've learned from them honestly, um, and and, and m- making sure you're in position to. Um, implement those as you move forward. Yeah. Again, I think some of it's just being in games and being experienced. I do think Notre Dame uses a lot of younger analysts who do a great job. I think he needs, Marcus needs to blend some older coaches that have game experiences. I think that's going to be a valuable asset for a lot of reasons. I think that would be a good investment. Um, and then Ed asked, as a follow-up, can analysts be on headsets and chime in during a game? I, I'm not sure if they can be on headsets, but they can be sitting next to somebody with a headset. Right. Um, and that's able to make communications. Tommy Reese um, had uh, – actually, it was the tight ends coach, but he had an analyst next to him when he was the offensive coordinator sitting up in the box. I would imagine – Again, that that you can have somebody right next to you that is helpful in those situations. I'll tell you, beyond the 10 people on the field thing, the thing that really blew me away that where I was, if I was scolding Marcus, it would have been the Duke game that, that they weren't more prepared for the crowd noise in that game. That just shocked me mm-hmm. at how poorly the communications were that they hadn't worked all that through with Marcus having been at Notre Dame, you know, as a defensive coordinator for a year, that just seemed odd that that wasn't a smoother operation on the road, that that was a surprise to them. Well, that's one of those things that slips through the cracks because you, you don't, it's not as big of a problem when you're a defensive coach where you're an offensive coach, because they're not making as much noise when, Right. When you're at Ohio State and Ohio State's offense is on the field or something like that. So 
Um, I think that uh, maybe that's it. Just sort of reveals like Marcus Freeman's coaching resume and, and his expertise as a defensive coach and and learning the broader aspects of the game as a head coach, which um, is why you'll have some of the instances that that we've seen um, him be in. All right, let's do one more question before we get back to some of the things we wanted to discuss. Uh, Len asks, can Drake Bowen and Nolan Ziegler play multiple linebacker positions so they can both get on the field next year? I think they can. I know Drake could play well either of the inside positions. I would assume Nolan can too. He kind of came in as a rover and then moved over to the middle linebacker more because of need, and he was really good at it. Uh, but you have Jalen Sneed in that mix as well. You also have uh, Viliamu Asa, Kingston Viliamu Asa, who I think is going to get on the field next year too and is an inside guy. So um, it'll be interesting. But, yes, it is possible for those two to play together. Zinter is more of an inside guy, isn't he, Tyler? Uh, yeah, I would say so. And then – Osbury is clearly an outside linebacker, clearly the rover kind of. So he is not in that mix, but you do have to kind of find roles for all those other guys. Yeah, I don't think Drake or Nolan will be rover candidates, but yeah, they could play either the two inside linebacker positions. Um, and I think should be well-versed in both pass and run defense. I think probably more of a challenge for Drake to uh, adapt to as someone who was um, more of an interior linebacker, even going back to high school days, whereas Nolan Ziegler was playing safety at times. Um, so there's probably a little bit easier transition for him there. But I do think those guys are versatile and guys that Notre Dame will um, have a chance to mix and match um, on the field next season. Okay, are we ready to go back to our regularly scheduled? Yeah, let's do that, and then we'll, we'll get more questions as they come in. Okay. So I'm going to skip Stanford at a glance because I'm already bored with them. Although there are some, one thing I'll mention, they do run a lot of gadget plays. They have some of their, sometimes two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. Um, and Bear Bachmeyer's brother, Tiger, is a really good freshman receiver for them. Okay, that's enough about Stanford. Um, we're going to go to, can Notre Dame export its home success to a road game? So, Tyler, why do you think that's been a more more of an issue this season than is a typical home road split? I think it's just I, to me, it squarely falls on the offense um, and their inability to play well in adverse situations. Um, I think Notre Dame's offense in general hasn't been as consistent enough to overcome those hiccups. Um, there have been times where Notre Dame's offense hasn't looked great at home, but the 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 negative of that usually doesn't res result in turnovers. And I think uh, you're more likely to be uh, to, to turn the ball over on in hostile environments. Um, I think it just sort of compounds Notre Dame's weaknesses offensively and teams really thrive um, off that defensive excitement, the crowd noise that comes with it. Um, and I think that has, that goes a long way. Certainly I think you could point to, the situation that Notre Dame was in in terms of its schedule and the long um, road before its first bye um, this season and, and playing those night games. Um, but I think it has more to do with just sort of the environment that Notre Dame has played in um, and the offense just not being capable of playing to its best 
under a lot of scenarios, but even even worse under adverse scenarios. What, what about you? Yeah, I I <laughs> I would agree. I think it usually is the offense that gets off to a stunningly lethargic start. And then it really puts everybody else in a difficult position. It makes it more difficult for the defense. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, people say, well, they look flat and whatever. I mean, when you not performing well, who looks unflat? What's the opposite of flat full bodied dynamic, um, dynamic. They do not look <laughs> dynamic. Now, Marcus Freeman today talked about a couple of things that they are doing to address it. So they're not just wishing it goes away. One of the things that he talked about today was moving team periods to the front of practice and doing some ones versus ones and getting some more competitiveness at the beginning of practice with the thought that that will carry over to the games because all these road games that they've been pretty lethargic in the beginning. The other thing is, again, they're kind of leaning into sports science when it comes to when they're leaving for the game. Notre Dame has basically been playing either USC or Stanford in the last regular season game every year since 1998. Now there's been a few exceptions. There was the 9-11 year that changed it. 2003, for some reason, they scheduled Syracuse in December. And then the pandemic year, they didn't play either of those teams. But generally, this is the routine. And they usually leave on Thursday. And they're going to leave on Friday because they've kind of leaned into the sports science stuff. And the advice that they've gotten is that that's going to make for more regular schedule and better performance on Saturday night. So that's kind of how they've gone about going. They're adapting the sports writer uh, travel. <laughs> the sport, they want to save on hotels. They want to save. <laughs> so, okay. And then the other thing along those lines is there ample motivation for this game, do you think? I think so. Yeah, I mean, you, you need a win to stay on track for 10 wins. Yeah, you have the loss to Stanford last season that you want to avenge. Um, I, I think I think there's plenty of reasons to be motivated to play this game. Um, so I would be surprised if you saw. I, I think what maybe if you come out flat, I think it's because playing at Stanford is like playing in a high school field. Sometimes it's not the, it's not the most lively uh, environment. There's usually not a ton of fans there. Uh, there might be as many Notre Dame fans as Stanford fans. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a bit of an interesting place to play um, at the end of the season. But I, I think that Notre Dame um, shouldn't be unmotivated going into this game. Okay. Do you agree? I, I think they have motivation. I mean, I try to get it out of Marcus about, you know, are they thinking a little bit big picture in terms of bowl games? It probably makes a difference which bowl game they went to, whether they win or lose. And certainly, I mean, there would the bowl people love to have Notre Dame, but they wouldn't be as excited about fans wanting to come to a game where they had just lost to Stanford in their previous game. Right. So the last part of this segment that I wanted to get to was John Bryce brought up the Notre Dame is 14 and four since the Stanford game Stanford lost last year. My question is a little bit different than the one he asked Marcus and I'll pose this to you. Is the program better off? And is Marcus clearly a better version of himself 
than after the Stanford loss last October? Uh, I would say in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no, I don't know that it's like, I don't know that it's as, I don't know. There's a clean cut answer to this. I think at least this season, the team hasn't lost to a terrible team this year or a team that it, like is obviously better than I, I think as we've seen as the season has gone on, Louisville is a good team. I know Louisville is not playing a bunch of powerhouse programs, um, but Louisville um, really took it to Notre Dame. And that wasn't just like, a random Louisville uh, performance. They certainly haven't maybe, they maybe haven't looked as good uh, in a game this season as they did against Notre Dame, but Louisville is capable of playing at a high level. Um, and I think, I think Louisville is a far, far greater team than Stanford and Marshall <laughs> was last season. Um, but I think in terms of like, is the program better off? Like the offense is still struggling. Like it's in a different, it's in someone else's hands now. It's not Tommy Reese. Um, it's Jared Parker, but that continues to be what is holding Notre Dame back from reaching its goals, I believe. Um, so I think it's in the same place there. I do think Marcus Freeman has learned some lessons, but like we mentioned, like there have been plenty of moments still this season where it's like, man, what is he doing there? Why, why isn't Notre Dame taking a timeout? Why is Notre Dame taking a timeout? Why isn't he pushing – Jared Parker to do X, Y, or Z with the offense. Um, so I, I think uh, better, yes, uh, slightly, but I don't know that it's like significant in, in at least in the way in the outcomes. Um, and so I guess I don't like how do I judge if he's better internally? I, I don't know that I could tell you um, how to measure that. So. Th- that's my best answer. If it makes any sense, what what, what would be your answer? It makes that? no sense. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I think as I look at the, let me look at it from the program before I address Marcus. I think recruiting at a high level is a really good thing for the program, and I think Notre Dame continues to do that, both in the twenty four and twenty twenty five classes, mm-hmm. and they were as successful with the portal, even though. This didn't have the fairy tale ending with Sam Hartman that people hope for. I still think they got some pretty good guys out of the portal in addition to Hartman, including Thomas Harper and Javante Jean-Baptiste. Yeah. Notre Dame was notorious for getting clunkers out of the portal uh, early on when they started dipping into the transfer market. The other thing I like is, and this is kind of turning a negative into a positive, they haven't fallen off the big stage under Marcus. They've lost some big games, but they haven't got had those head-scratching blowout losses that happen sometimes during the Brian Kelly era. Yeah. So I think that's a positive thing. As far as Marcus getting better, I do see maybe more subtle things that I think he seems more comfortable with, but you know, every year you're going to have to make really good hiring decisions. And one really bad one can kill you. And I'm not saying that there is one on this staff. I think you guys can decide that. We'll we'll find out here at the end of the season whether Marcus thinks that. But Brian Van Gorder almost pulled Brian Kelly down. I mean, almost ended the Brian Kelly era. Yeah. And so you have to get these assistant coaches right and by and large marcus has made some pretty good hires but 
he's really going to have to resolve this offensive coordinator. He's either going to have to get somebody that's really good in here, or he's going to have to have the foresight and he's going to have to be right that Jared Parker is going to be markedly better in year two. So that's how I see that. Okay. All right. I got a couple questions here. Let me throw at you from another okay. one from Jeffrey Stevens. How do you guys evaluate Max Bullis work with the linebackers? Will he be looking for a permanent position coach spot in the off season? I think that depends on what happens with Al Golden. I know I spent a lot of time with Al Golden on Tuesday nights this year. And without being asked about, Al Golden brought up Shane Bullis name a lot. And I know the players have brought him up as well. The linebackers have brought him up as well. But I would think he would be in line for a possible, you know, where he's full-fledged. He's not a graduate assistant. Now, again, the NCAA is contemplating on taking the lines away and deregulating assistant coaches and having, you know, not a set number. And that could play into all this, too. I think he'll get job offers. But if Al Golden leaves and let's say... Mike Mickens becomes the defensive coordinator. There's a chance they would offer uh, Bola a chance to stay on the staff. Yeah, I, I chuck a little bit because you called him Shane, which is his dad. Yeah, who played his dad's name. I knew I was going to do that. That's what happens when you get these multiple generations. I knew I was going to call him Shane at some point. And I almost made it through the season without and, doing and, that. And Shane was a linebacker at Michigan State. Um what Max was as well. And I do think Max is someone that will be looking for a, a full-time opportunity as a linebackers coach. I think he's probably earned that. Um, he's been toiling around in GA roles and analyst roles for a bit. At good uh, places. At good places too. And so I'm sure he values the experience he's been having because he, in most senses, he's basically a, a he's not what his responsibilities are, are pretty much like what a typical linebackers coach are because they, they allow him to do that and let Al Golden be a very defensive coordinator oriented right, coach. So um, I'm sure you'd like to get paid <laughs> like a full time coach uh, rather than what he's being paid. But um, I, I do think he's probably valued that experience. So, yeah, I think it probably depends on what happens with Notre Dame's defensive coaching staff next year. Um, but either way, I think he would be wise to at least be looking at what sort of full-time opportunities are out there rather than being a graduate assistant. All right. Ron Obermeyer asks, Hey guys, what players do you think will bypass the bowl game? I think it depends on what bowl game they're in. Like if they beat Stanford and they're playing in the ReliaQuest bowl, I don't think there's a, and they were playing LSU. I don't think there's a single Brian Kelly recruit that would skip that game. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're playing somebody else in that bowl, like Tennessee, or if they're playing in the Pop Tarts bowl, I mean, maybe Joe Alt. Um, you know, it's, I don't think that there's going to be, other than maybe somebody that says, I'm going in the portal, I don't want to risk an injury. I, I don't see somebody, I don't see that there being high enough draft pick status. Like, I don't think Sam Hartman will skip. I don't think Howard Cross or 
Riley Mills or Kim Hart would skip, but I don't know. I mean, I Notre Dame hasn't had a lot of those guys. Yeah, I uh, Javante Jean Baptiste was actually asked straight up about it tonight at, at player interviews, okay. and he he didn't answer it. He he was like non committal, okay. so that wasn't someone that I would have had on my list as someone that might not play. But yeah, um, he's he's a grad transfer mercenary, right? Like, there's no. Like if he got out of the situation, what he wanted, uh, I guess I wouldn't fault him for maybe not wanting to play and r- risk injury in one last game where you've got through the season without having to have that happen to you. Um, he didn't certainly, I wouldn't imagine, he's not necessarily going to be motivated by Brian Kelly uh, either. Right. I said um, Brian Kelly recruits. Right. Right. Yeah. I know. Um, at, so, so maybe there are some guys like that. Um, I'm motivated by Brian Kelly. I, yeah, I think I think it's too hard to know without what the bowl game is. I think I think then we could be better guessers at it. Um, I do think for the most part, a lot of guys will play unless they're. I think there probably will be some transfer portal guys that don't play. Um, I think we're going to see that every year now. Guys that are like, all right, I'm heading to the transfer portal right. and I'm not waiting uh, to, for the bowl season to get finished to go through that process. Um, so and, and some think, of the bowls are trying to funnel. NIL money into incentivizing the bowl game. The Duke's Mayo Bowl, I think, is the first one that lines something up with, with that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's going to need to be shown in action rather than talked about before it actually sells anyone yeah. on the reason and, to play. And, and not just like free mayonnaise for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, next one is a comment rather than a question from Roosevelt Carney. I'm sorry if you think Notre Dame is going to be Beat the elite teams with a Bowen and Ziegler. You must be crazy. You can't recruit SEC talent. Um, I would just say, Roosevelt Carney, that Drake Bowen had offers from Arkansas, Auburn, uh, Kentucky, LSU, Mississippi, mm, let's see, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Texas A&M. So those are all SEC schools in the future. So um, he had SEC opportunities. Uh, so I think that's not a fair uh, line of criticism that you're coming at with their Roosevelt. Right. And Ziegler is a guy that was a tremendous athlete that played other positions, wide receiver and safety that I think is developing into a really good linebacker. Jaden Osbury had SEC offers, including LSU, which is in his own backyard. Uh, Kingston, Viliamu Asa was recruited by everybody. Um, So, I think the linebacker talent, the young linebacker talent is pretty exciting. I'll tell you, if Cody Bahoon's uh Bodie Cahoon. Bodie Cahoon. <laughs> did I call him Cody Bahoon? Yes. <laughs> Bodie Galoon Balloon. His numbers, his statistics from this year. Now again, I don't know what the football's like in Roanoke, Virginia, but it's scary how consistently he was around 18 to 22 tackles a game and there may be a sleeper with him. So I think Notre Dame is moving in the right direction with linebacker talent. I think we have to call him Cody Bahoon for the rest of his career now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think that was worse than Shane Bulla. <laughs> all right. That's all the questions we got. If you guys have more questions, uh, I guess you can submit them last minute here. We're going to wrap up here shortly. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here, Eric? Uh, let's do just a few few rapid fire quick questions. Don't sure. fire them back at me. Just we'll go with you. All right. 
Okay, Notre Dame was able to have some success with RPOs and play action in the Wake Forest game. Do we expect to see more of this in the Stanford game? Uh, yeah, I don't know why not, although I don't know exactly why not. It wasn't a bigger plan, uh, part of the plan in previous games. I think teams have been stacking the box for months, so um, it's only right for Notre Dame to take advantage of that. Communication issues at the end of the first half that probably turned a touchdown into a field goal. And after the onside kick that turned into an ugly three and out, understandable or puzzling? Uh, puzzling. Uh, how, way- do you not, how do you not have a plan coming out of the halftime? Um, and then this after the spike, I understand there's a miscommunication, but I can't. There should be a way that Sam Harvey can get him out of the situation. I guess maybe he realized the air too late. Um, but yeah, those are those are bad situations that Notre Dame has to get fixed. Do the Wake Forest game? alter your thinking about Jared Parker, alter it about his future? Uh, I I think I'd be crazy to have one game against Wake Forest change my overall views on it. Um, I, I've always felt a game plan like that was possible. Um, I don't under, totally understand why it hasn't been like that previously. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to necessarily change my tune based on that one game. Are we underselling Steve Angeli's viability to win the job in the spring? Um, I don't want to speak for everyone. I would say myself, I have been probably. Um, I don't know that I'm going to continue doing that moving forward. I think it just he keeps mounting more and more evidence that he can be something. Um, I had doubts that he would ever become anything. Um, I think that's maybe just so that's, I think, some bias based on my previous thoughts of Steve Angeli. Um, I, I don't know that I would still necessarily feel comfortable with him being absolutely the guy. I think you go out and get a grad transfer and you let them compete and see who, who's the better quarterback. Do you like what we're hearing about the NBC deal? Um, well, I'm not really hearing anything other than that they had a deal. I don't know any of the details. Uh, it's all about money, right? So um, unless Notre Dame, I guess I'm good with it as, as long as Notre Dame's getting the money that they need to, to, to do what they want to do. Um, I, I, the one thing I guess I feel comfortable, comfortable, comfortable saying is that I think that the short-term deal of it and the nature of it, the five-year extension makes sense rather than being locked in, um, long-term, uh, with, with the TV right situation and the conference situation as it is. Two more, and then we'll have a little recruiting nugget and go back to the questions. If you want to do that, uh, anything strike you at the player coordinator interviews tonight? Um, I mentioned the JJB nugget already. Um, I talked to Ashton Craig a little bit. It was nice to get to talk to him a little bit about um, the transition to center and his preparedness for it. And that was that was a good conversation. But uh, nothing nothing significant. Was there any significant uh, items you want to share? Eli was pretty interesting about the mental hurdles that he had to overcome. He mentioned he worked with a sports psychologist, um, and he said, you know the second ACL tear was really way harder than the first, both from a physical standpoint and from a mental standpoint, but he is feeling it now. He feels like he's back and he's pretty excited. Um, And then Al Golden had some interesting nuggets. He got asked about being a candidate for the Syracuse job. He didn't want anything to do with that. He was asked about Xavier Watts. Do you need to talk him into coming back? He said, I wouldn't do that to anybody. He goes, I just want to give them in their information and let them make their own decisions. All right. 
Um, and then what are you thankful for in terms of Notre Dame's 2023 football season? Oh man. Every time this gets asked in a press conference, I just, I look down the floor cause I'm too embarrassed to, to, to see anyone else's reaction to it. Um, I am thankful for getting to watch Joe all play football on a weekly basis. Um, I think that's above everything else. So uh, that's what I'm going with. What are you thankful for Eric? That Marcus free. Oh, you didn't even know about this, that Marcus Freeman didn't hit me. Was driving on the sidewalk today when I was walking <laughs> to the press conference. <laughs> that's a good thing to be thankful for. <laughs> I was going to ask him about it in the press conference, but I figured nobody would know what I was talking about. So, well, uh, I'm anyway. thankful for that. I'm thankful for that too, as well. I should add that. <laughs> okay. So, what do we get with uh, recruiting today? There was a recruiting nugget today. What happened? Yeah. Creed Thomas, uh, cornerback from Phoenix Brophy Prep, committed to Notre Dame. That's the same high school that produced Benjamin Morrison, six foot one, 170 pounds, the number 31 cornerback in the 2025 class. Um, a, a good get for Notre Dame secondary. Um, Notre Dame's piling up some three stars in that class, but I have a feeling that those three tar- stars will probably turn into four stars um, after the junior seasons for many of these guys. Okay, so do we have any more questions, or do we? I don't think so. No, here? Roosevelt Carney just wants to argue about Georgia and Alabama, but I don't know what. We'll, we don't need to do that. Okay. Well, we want to thank Legacy Heating and Air for sponsoring us. And again, if you have any questions about legacy here, leave them in the comments and I'll answer them because I love those guys. We want to thank you for watching during the Kansas City Chiefs game and maybe even Taylor Swift Fest. I'm sorry that she was unable to make it on the show tonight with us. <laughs> You're going to make it like Matt Damon on, on Jimmy Kimmel's show? Yeah. We had to bump her because Tyler's answer to the thankful question went too long. Otherwise, we would have had a a Taylor Swift segment. <laughs> and maybe next week, Tyler will sing a Taylor Swift song for y'all. No, nah, not a chance. Um, uh, maybe if we get a billion people to sign up for Andy, InsideIndieSports.com. Uh, like uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, you can use the promo code NDYT for a 30-day free trial. Um, you can check out what a subscription is like to our site, get access to us on the Insider Lounge and our community there. Um, we are planning to record our Inside Indie Sports podcast on Tuesday. We'll be back here for uh, Place Your Bets on Friday to preview the Stanford game. And then we'll be back after the game uh, with a post time, probably Sunday morning, with our post game takeaways. And I hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving.